Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now It's Friday night. It's 11 o'clock. It is the Explain Yourself Kicks It Around title, uh, Roundtable. This week, sponsored by the Green Lantern Corps, Will and I realized when we both sat down. Um, I think I've been in a few more battles than you, Will. <laughs> Maybe. You look so green and, and nice, green. and I look faded. <laughs> so... Uh, it's Friday night. We are joined by creators that are uh, kickstarting, but I had a two different campaigns that we talked about. Life, Jason Ford and DNS came today and Jurati, the shadow of the people. Um, yeah, uh, Brenton Lingle. So this show keeps on giving. We get to talk <laughs> about comics and then like two or three months, they just show up in the mail. It's beautiful. It's like um, Christmas. Will, how you doing, bud? Doing all right. How are you doing? I'm doing great. We've got um, all of our creators are here. Uh, I, uh, we will not tell tales, but somebody just slipped in there in the nick of time, and we won't uh, <laughs> say who it was. But um, we're going to introduce all of our projects. Mick, why don't you tell us a little bit about a Queen of Mars 1 and 2? Um, so Queen of Mars is a love letter fan fiction expansion on the uh, Barsoomian works of Edgar Rice Burroughs. Uh, they're books I grew up with and was always fascinated by the world, but didn't necessarily feel like I wanted to adapt or retell anything that he had already done in specifics, but like there's still plenty of world there to explore off of what he built and what he created that I thought was very interesting. And like one of the questions I always find the most interesting is like, what happens next? Like what after your big season finale or series finale or like, you know, the last battle, then what do you do when you wake up the next day? And uh, I just drew the first issue last year while working on a different project. I just wanted something to kind of like clear my head artistically. 
Mm-hmm. And I started working on pages on the side. And in a week, I had eight pages of the first wow. issue done. And then I got eight pages done the next week. It's like, well, I guess it's a book now. So <laughs> let's oh, do awesome. something with it. <laughs> Darn right, it. <laughs> let's stick in let's stick in sci-fi uh fellhound uh what is and we love you uh yeah so uh and we love you is a 64 page graphic novella uh it's about a young soldier in this dystopian war world who unfortunately perishes on the battlefield and bleeds out all her memories uh it's also a prequel to my last comic commander Rao, uh which you can get now from scout comics <laughs> um yeah um we are funding our Kickstarter right now. I believe we have about two weeks left, and we just hit our second stretch goal like nice. today. So we're going to get two yeah. bonus stories from uh, Brent Fisher and Alex Schlitz, and also Michelle Ebenator and Hench, and they're really cool stories. Um, so I'm really excited about that. Awesome. We're going to go in closer. And our third project is Bloom Pretty Lisa. I'm going to let you talk about this because this is your baby. Brent is here with you, but I know Bloom Pretty is your baby. So what is Bloom Pretty? I'm going to read it because this is my first time going over on the elevator pitch or whatever. Um, Bloom Pretty, Lily of the Valley is a standalone oversized comic that sets up a brand new fantasy world where every character is a plant hybrid. The story focuses on Astria, an outcast from her own family because of a magic she possesses. Uh, At its heart, it's a love story, but deals with themes of obsession, betrayal, and murder. It's firmly uh, planted in a fantasy Ah. world with magic and mystery at its core. (laughs) But I wanted the story to put a focus on love and family, how love and family can heal in the midst of tragedy. All three of our projects uh, veer a more uh, mature audience. Am I correct? Uh, not not mature, but I, I know Bloom Pretty has some gorgeous, sexy art. <clears throat> Mick, your last book had, um, you know, not safe for work covers. Uh, Fell is is this book um, all ages or mature? I'm just trying to figure out. Uh, tonight, you know, should we tell to put the kids, kids, well, you should put your kids to bed. It's 11 o'clock, but, um, um, probably on the mature end, it is uh, very heavy on the, on the death theme, I guess. So, uh, that's something I want to teach your kids right now, then. <laughs> no, uh, n- not, n- there's no death going on in this world. So we certainly don't want kids to think that could possibly happen. Um, well, let's, let's start with Bloom pretty it is uh, the great thing is there's no pressure on any of these projects you are all absolutely killing it um but let's let's look at some of the art on bloom pretty if you're listening on the podcast you're gonna have to go to these pages to see the gorgeous art on all three um but bloom pretty it has some of the uh it's a how can i say this it is very sensual it is very sexy it doesn't feel um exploitative to me as a dude looking at the page, uh, but it also doesn't look like the male gaze. And if you enjoy the male gaze, there's a lot of plant, beautiful nudity. So look at the page (laughs) and I'm going to pick it up. So how did you decide to um, make this more, um, where was the thought process for for making this not all ages? Um, It really started like what, I don't know, like four or five years ago. 
<clears throat> when I first watched Game of Thrones, <laughs> I was okay. kind of I was kind of late to the party on that one. And then um, I watched Game of Thrones with Brant, and I was like, uh, at the time, I was making an all ages book, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then I realized that why am I making an all ages book when that's not really what I consume. <laughs> so um it was sort of just uh in the back of my mind working on the concept for quite a long time and then i actually i brought a prop (laughs) it sort of all stems from a childhood book i had (laughs) probably enough called uh flower children it's like from 1910 and it's like um all of these little rhymes and plant people. And I was like, I was obsessed with it forever when I was a kid. And I was like, well, I still kind of am. So why don't I kind of make my own world where <clears throat> everyone is just a plant, sort of. <clears throat> well, the, um, the blue, the blue deer-ish lion-ish, character i don't even know what what to call it where did that come from because it's just such a neat invention um i told carola that i wanted a deer creature and she just went she's amazing (laughs) he's he's so so beautiful i it's kind of like because i played a a lot of world of warcraft there's like everyone has a mount or like (laughs) this animal character it just feels fantasy to me and i so i uh, have him as a main character actually in the story. He's very important. And then there's another uh, that later. I think we decided on bear. Yeah, a bear creature that comes into it too. And they're they're just part of the world, like mm-hmm. uh, important to the characters. And just uh, speaking on the mature thing mm-hmm. a little bit, mm-hmm. I, I know you were telling me as the story developed and some of the themes that you were going to be tackling in yeah. it, it made sense to kind of take it immature. <clears throat> route because of those themes that you're touching yeah, on. Yeah, so. that is very true. <clears throat> I, had, I had heard um, the creator of NYPD Blue say the reason that he would put in the nudity was so that they could do the things that they wanted to do. So when they, you, mm-hmm. sh- you saw Sipowitz's butt, it allowed <laughs> them to show a dead body in the alley instead of vice versa. Um, mm. So it's, it's almost like it it censors away an audience that wouldn't like it so that you can tell the stories you want to tell. So, yeah, I mean, it's a botchko, right? You're, you're a pretty good company. I'd say. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you got, you got together an all female um, team for this. It was that something you sought out to do or did it happen happened just by by like what was the thought process getting your team together at the beginning i hadn't really considered it and then i was like um one once i figured out that we had nicole on as editor and i knew i wanted to uh come uh contact carola from her past stuff and then i was like well we're almost there (laughs) and and, uh i had done a lot of coloring work for years and it it had just never happened where it was an all-female team. <clears throat> I just thought it would be kind of fun to do for my the first thing in this world. I also thought that it would help with the um, male gaze, as you said, <laughs> for the first uh, for the first issue. I just I really didn't want it to push 
past a certain point. Like there's something that, uh, I don't know how to describe it. Just, I wanted a specific look and uh, I thought we could do it really well with Corolla on the art and then just keep going with the, the female team. <clears throat> no, I think it Sorry, was great... my first time talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's a little nervous. But... <clears throat> Don't be nervous. We This goes out. We've got 17,000 people watching. <laughs> we, we get 180,000 downloads a week. Um, so don't be nervous. It's a really small audience. Um, no, actually, um, we have four people watching. Uh, well, I said that. We have three people watching. Hi, Samantha. Thank you for joining us. And my evening's going well. I, I think you guys succeeded in that goal um, because there's a very, um, the vision of this book is seen on the Kickstarter page. So whatever it was you were looking to do, as long as you feel like it hit the mark from an outsider, the mark seems to have been hit and you're about to hit $25,000 and over 800 backers, I believe, 867 backers. So I think any of your choices you've made for this, Lisa, were the right ones. <laughs> History has proven you correct. <laughs> it so, has yes. been uh, really, really amazing. Just yeah, un- it's, yeah, go ahead. <clears throat> oh, just unknown Facebook user has uh, downloaded uh, 160,000 times. <laughs> hey, <laughs> we, that's fine. Will and I don't care how it happens. (laughs) We will game the system. So how long do you have left on it, Lisa? Uh, Looks like 11 days. Yeah, 11, 11 12 days. days. You know, Kickstarter math. (laughs) Yeah. So we're about to hit our next uh, stretch goal, and then we'll have to figure out a few few other things. Well, we've got them figured out, actually. (laughs) So so we get to drop a few more next week. what What is the next one when you hit it? It's a it's a spot UV upgrade to the main cover, so we're doing it on the uh, on the logo and the figures on the main mm-hmm. on Corolla's cover, mm-hmm. and then after that, we're t- we got. We can go ahead and say yeah, we're, we're doing the, we're doing metal covers. We're going to introduce those on Monday. Ooh, so nice, yeah. yeah, very cool. Who who did the artwork on those, or is it one of the covers <laughs> that's already on the it's, page? It's uh, we're definitely doing the Princess Bride one as a metal cover because it just I, we think that's going to really stand out and. I don't remember what the I think other we were going to we were considering Sid's cover. Yeah, the the, um, the painted one with the with the birds. Yeah. Okay. Oh, <clears throat> We've already up, upgraded okay. uh, the other two variants to Yeah, Marguerite's and Fabiana's specialty options. <clears throat> Isn't it beautiful when you can make enough to make the book that you is past your wildest dreams? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. this, like she said, this has been a kind of a passion project to hers for a few years now. And it's just like we, we going into this one, we had people telling us, oh, this is the one that's going to like blow up for you. And we were just like, you know, before this, I think our highest one we made, what, pneumatic cases made 12. 12 yeah. So that was like our, our benchmark. And after that, we hadn't quite duplicated that but people kept on us on this one that was gonna do it and we were just like kind of trying to be reserved about it and not get our hopes up too high and then it just it blew up and like everybody said and it's just kind of blown us away in the process for sure so grateful yeah absolutely well it's high fantasy it's gorgeous artwork it's sexy times 
I mean, um, <laughs> I think the people telling you that it was going to blow out, blow up, had uh, extremely uh, their, their predictions make sense. But until mm -hmm. it happens, you can't get you can't get cocky until yeah. it happens. Right. So, of course. hey man, keep it up. So, bloom pretty. We will get back to it a little bit. Um, Fell, let's let's talk about and we love you. I know Commander Rao um, a bit. I adore the story. I I love the the artwork. I love the fact that um, there's more heart to it than I ever expected when I started reading it. Um, and this is a prequel. So is this a prequel to direct characters that we know from Commander Rao, or is that a secret, or are they brand new characters? Uh, no, so we do see a younger version of Commander Rao, a.k.a. Casey Cormack, um, but the story is really told from uh, another character's perspective, who was also introduced in Commander Rao, uh, the character of Julie. So the entire story is told from her perspective, and we finally, you know, I think one of the mysteries in Commander Rao was what exactly happened to Julie, and in this prequel we will discover what exactly happened to her and how her and Casey's um, I, I guess, like, bond developed. Let me pull it up. I should have been doing that while you were talking. I apologize. <laughs> That's good. It's been a weird week. It's been a weird week. <laughs> Indeed. A lot going on. <laughs> so there's the cover, and I saw your poll this week asking if uh, anybody saw the second figure on the cover. And uh, I, I answered, yeah. <laughs> well, my my answer is I see it mostly on Twitter, and the 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 hair on the second figure is usually cut off, so oh. it you don't usually see that. But I had noticed mm -hmm. it about in one of your um, like the pre-launch pages, but then I totally forgot about it. I was like, oh yeah. So yeah, cover the gift that get, keeps on giving. I, I bet there's going to be a lot of people surprised when they and excited when they get it. It's somehow extraordinarily gorgeous and gross as all get out. <laughs> yeah. So was that the goal? <laughs> to have it extraordinarily uh, pretty and gross. I yeah. mean, it's or, visceral. Yes. Uh, Game of Thrones, it reminds me of Jon Snow after, uh, I mean, we can do spoilers on season four of Game of Thrones, right? <laughs> a character say. gets stabbed in the snow and bleeds, and it reminds me a lot of that. We'll that. If, you, if you rewind it by 15 seconds, you'll hear the character's name, so I'm not really good with spoilers. I've never seen Game of Thrones, so spoiler, you I know, don't know anything about it. It's You know what? I would say... Uh, uh, before the last season, I would have told you that everybody had to watch it. And when I saw the last season, I don't know that you do need to put that amount of time into it. That's my, <laughs> that is my relationship with Game of Thrones. I've heard that. <laughs> That's yeah. the general consensus, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but so when you set out to create Commander Rao, I'm assuming that this backstory was in your head, did you ever think you were going to write it and deliver it? To be completely honest, I had the story before Commander Rao. Like I had the story since like, I don't know, it's been like since 2013 probably. 
Wow. So yeah, I, uh, I was waiting to do it because I, they, I guess things kept on coming up. Like I felt like, you know, there are times I felt like my art wasn't good enough. There are times I felt like uh, it wouldn't sell because of whatever reason. And then there was, I don't know, just a lot of little things kept on popping up. So I kept on pushing it back. And then after Commander Rao, I was like, okay, I, I like, I just have to do it. Now's the time. If I keep putting it off forever, I will just never do it. <laughs> How did you choose which to tell first then since you had, you know, the story for so long or did yeah, you just so, think? Um, at first the story and Commander Rao were two totally separate things. Um, and then as I was developing Commander Rao, I realized that they were both kind of dystopian war stories. So I was like, why not just put them in the same world? And, uh, you know, before Commander Rao, I was, I was still really new to comics. I didn't really have that big of an audience. I didn't really know what I was doing. So I felt like if I put the two stories together, it would kind of help me on the marketing approach. Just be like, mm -hmm. okay, you know, if Commander Rao does well, I can just pitch this new one as like a, a prequel to the thing that did well. So that was kind of how I approached it. That's brilliant. Just planning ahead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just looking at there. Now you're a self, oh, <laughs> what the fans are saying, oh my. Fucking God, Val. That's pretty good. So, That's, uh, yeah, they, they told me to put that in there. They dared me to do it. And I was like, oh. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so this is 60 some pages, you said? Uh, 64. Wow. That is a beast. And again, you did all the writing and all of the art on this one? Yes. Uh, we also That's have Luke incredible. Lucas lettering and Mickey helped me edit in <clears throat> logo you and mick just anger me um i respect <laughs> it i respect it and hate it <laughs> yeah, well, now we have those really pretty prints by kira which i adore they're gorgeous so good so good yeah a little postcard so do you think that uh, you'll be revisiting kind of this this world that you've got with commander rao and with and we love you oh i have so many more stories in my head it's just a matter of i guess putting them out there <laughs> i am not the fastest writer and i'm definitely not the fastest artist so it's it takes me a while to get things going but they will be out there eventually Cool. When you're when you're writing, are you laying out the page, or are you just kind of creating beats that you draw from later? Um, I guess it depends on the story. With the story with them, um, and we love you. Uh, I I wrote the script first, and then I went and did the layout. But I already kind of had an idea of what I wanted. With Commander Rao, it was the opposite. I kind of thumbnailed and drew the whole thing, and then I went back and put in most of the dialogue. Mm -hmm. um, so it really depends on what I guess the story I'm trying to tell is. <laughs> and, but you've had this story for so long, I bet it was easier to, to because your thoughts have been kind of percolating in the back of your head for eight, nine years. So it might have been easier to, to write it as opposed, you knew you trusted your story and you trusted yourself because Commander Rao was so good too, I bet. I, I mean, it was... In some ways it was easier to write the initial draft, but then I felt like I had this problem where I kept on rereading my draft and overthinking it. And 
I feel like that's not great for you because then you start overthinking things and then you want to change everything, even though it was probably fine before. So that's why I got an editor this time who could just tell me that things are okay and to move on. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and explain yourself, Ulster Frankie White. So that's that's not bad. Yes, uh, I, I love Frankie's writing. I am a big fan. I was also excited to see Ricky Lima. I've never met him. I've never spoken with him, but he's good friends and did a cool, really cool book with David Bishop, who drew a comic for me. So I feel like he's like this spiritual cousin of mine, even though we don't know each other at all. So <laughs> kudos to you getting Ricky Lima. Ricky is super duper nice. He has been helping me out since like I before I published my first comic. Pretty much I randomly messaged him as a stranger on Instagram being like, how do you print a comic? And he was like super nice and just helped me out. So yeah, he's a wonderful person, great to work with. And this is our most important stretch goal. Uh, if we hit $50,000, then there will be no war and uh, everybody will get the ending and nobody gets it. <laughs> Guys, please, let's get this to 50,000. <laughs> yeah, we've got two weeks, and I think like 40,000 left to go. So, as a person whose name is Kevin Joseph, I'm a fan of the initials <laughs> just uh, KJ. Anytime I see KJ, I'm, I'm excited. So, you've got me. I'm, I was sold before I saw that. But, uh, all right, so 50,000, we end all war. Um, which is not at all pertinent to today's day and age. All right, we only, we've got less than 40,000 to go in 13 days. We can do this. We can do this. Well, today's a big push, right? <laughs> but seriously, $10,000 is amazing. Like Brent said that their, their last high was $12,000, which is extraordinary. That is amazing. And, and you're over $10,000 here. And how many backers? 346 backers on your second Kickstarter campaign? Yes. That is killer. <laughs> yeah. That is absolutely killer. Because my daughter looks so bad, my number looks higher on my screen. So <laughs> it's always nice to see what it is. In oh, yeah. Okay. That's true. I, I didn't even think about that. At least the backers are the same. At least they don't count like American backers as like 1.1. That would be really that would be really <laughs> arrogant. <laughs> so let's see. I haven't looked at the comments. Oh, Joey says hello, friends and family. Joey, good to see you, buddy. And um, Fell is a force of nature. <laughs> um, I we agree. Uh, we are fans, and as long as. She, as they keep using their uh, powers for good, we are uh, we're fine. You're not going to turn turn your force into destruction, are you? No, mostly, <laughs> probably we're just going to use that force for more cooking videos. Done, <laughs> done, sold. <laughs> All right, Mick, it's your turn in the hot seat. I'm going to pull up the page and um, Queen of Mars one and two. And so, and yet he may conquer is. Yeah. Is, so, so tell me the, the, how these are the same different. Ex so with he may yet conquer because it happens kind of suddenly and unexpectedly. It's like, I knew that's what I wanted the title of the story to be. Cause there's a, there's a quote from the books that says, uh, leave a Thark his head in one hand and he may yet conquer. 
Like, mm-hmm. that's what I wanted the, the title to be, because the main character in that first book is, you know, a Thark. It's a 15-foot green Martian, usually with four arms and two legs. And uh, this guy, Harkigit, is pretty well mangled, and he's down to one hand, and he's got his head. So, like, he fits, he fits the quote. I drew the issue. The issue drew itself is what it felt like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I shared it around on some Edgar Rice Burroughs Facebook pages, and uh, there was some response there, like, you should kickstart it. I'd love to have it as a book. So I was like, all right, I'll do that. Um, and then in the process of doing the Kickstarter, it was like, I've got eight more issues I could do. I see it as like a trilogy of trilogies. And so then I knew I wanted a, a different name uh, for it as kind of the umbrella. And I thought it would be easier to to switch that now instead of switching that later. Okay. Uh, so the second issue is, you know, I guess officially, you know, a Queen of Mars chapter two queen of therns as the as the full title but as i was explaining that convoluted process to my daughter today i realized i actually have like a different overall branching title in mind so i'm gonna have to rebrand everything on the third kickstarter (laughs) (laughs) you are predictably unpredictable we love you (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) so yeah he may yet conquer it's chapter one Queen of Therns is chapter two. They are parts one and two of the Queen of Mars trilogy. Which is the first trilogy of three trilogies. Yeah, yeah. I think I just fell into Inception, Mac. (laughs) (laughs) And this is black and white as well. What was your thought process to creating black and white? I'm sure you told us on the last one. Um, Because I can't color. Color terrifies me. I like I'll color like little individual pieces here and there just to, mm-hmm. to mess with it. Uh, but the idea of coloring a whole book, spinning that long on any single page, that long on any single book, I would kill myself. So mm-hmm. I've decided not going to color. I'm just not going to do it. Uh, no, I mean, it's a perfectly valid choice. I think, um, I think some people, uh, sh- some people choose to color just because they think they have to. And like with line work like yours, it's gorgeous and graceful. You don't great grayskull. I, I think I just went back to the <laughs> yeah. You know I what I mean. Like, after the, the third book comes out, like I'm planning to do like a collected then volume of the first trilogy. And uh, my first Kickstarter was a fantasy story called Rovers. And I had that colored by Joel Bartlett. Um, and I'm already talking to him about getting this colored for that collected edition. You know, mm. at least then the individual issues will be uh, visually similar and that they're all black and white. And then, you know, when we finally have the book as a single color uh, or as a single collection, then, you know, it'll all be in color. And like this Kickstarter's done way better than I really expected it to. So. Like, you know, I've got I've got plenty for Joel already. That's gorgeous. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, Joel did uh Joel did the uh, two covers. He colored both of the uh, the covers that I drew. Mm-hmm. Um and then Samantha Branch is a friend of mine and I asked her to do that uh that other cover. Yeah, no pretty. 
This is a, just a, a night of beautiful art. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Fel and Mick, for doing it. Thank you, Lisa, for uh, hiring somebody. <laughs> Will, and I, Will and I understand how making pretty things just means finding someone else to do it instead of uh, <laughs> scratching a paper and, and making everyone hate us. So yeah, you're at you're at six thousand of a one thousand dollar goal. So you're absolutely killing it as well. Like this is just, I want to thank you, all three projects for showing up. Like we always joke about the explain yourself bomb. Yeah, I need it. <laughs> all right. Still appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll do that. <laughs> I mean, I won't say no. <laughs> Okay, so so Facebook user, as long as I'm unknown, I'll unabashedly say that this is the best collection of talent you've ever had on the show. I will say that it is a great collection of talent. Probably one show than when Will and I aren't here is probably going to be the best for even better. Yeah, I mean, you guys, yeah. can, you guys can just yourself that now if you want. Yeah, <laughs> we we tend to, we tend to drag it down, but that's okay because. It, that's the way you have the show because we can bring you guys on. We can look good and, and be the tailwind to you guys. And uh, we appreciate it. So I told Will and I told people at the beginning, um, I wanted to bring in a, uh, just, just something about making comics crowdfunding. And I just wanted to hear what you all think about it. And I was thinking about the three projects we had and all three seem to be strong in world building. Um, so I wanted to hear what your thoughts are on creating the worlds that you're working on. And Mick, I'd like you to talk about working within an established world and making it your own. So this is free, free form. What was the first thing and whoever wants to go first can go first that you thought about in world building the project that is up on, on Kickstarter. I knew I wanted it to be, I want to do as closely to the books as I can. And uh, when I say the books, I mean the first four books he wrote nine, 10, he wrote 10, 10 and a half books uh, set in Barsoom on Barsoom. I think only the first six exist in the public domain. Um, the back half is still copy, under copyright. Um, as far as the first six, the first four, I enjoy the most. I mean, I've read them all multiple times, but the first four, I think, are his best exploration and expo uh, exploration and explanation of the world without falling into like reusing ideas, coming up with stuff that uh, interferes with like the world building he's done earlier. So I knew I wanted to do that. Um, the end of the third book is a major demarcation point for just the world of Barsoom and how the main character through the first three novels, John Carter, like changes the world. Like he finds this world through his actions, he changes it fundamentally by the end of the third book. And so then the fourth book picks up from that point. And the fourth book is already kind of that, uh, answering that question of like, what happens the day after? Um, mm. So 
I took it from there. I knew I wanted to be faithful through those first uh, four books, and I wanted to pay homage to what he did and how he did things, and that comes into play in like later on in the series I have roughly in mind. Um, but I knew as I was doing it, the stuff I wanted to add to the world, I wanted to make sure it felt organic to how he wrote and how he told stories. Uh, where, because like the first book is is a travelogue. Like John Carter shows up on Mars. Every chapter, he's a new place, experiencing new things, seeing new people, and it's not really character based or plot based for the most of it. He's just, I'm a dude from Earth on an alien planet, and here's a strange thing. Here's another strange thing. Here's another strange thing. My princess is in another castle. Why does this always happen? kind of a thing uh and so i wanted to not do the travelogue as much and be like this is a place he's explored that's fascinating it's got history it's worth spending time here and so that's kind of where i wanted to go with the world building is flushing out these places and uh just spending time figuring out how this makes sense uh kind of in the books were written in like an incredibly racist incredibly sexist period in history and while there are certainly books that are much worse in those regards from that time like these books do also have incredibly problematic elements and i didn't necessarily want to rewrite that and be like oh me as you know a 21st century man like clearly i have all these answers and can pretend like these bad things never happened or i can explain away these bad things uh i did want to see if i could soften them in a way um in how i approached and told the story hmm. um and so staying in these places kind of trying to flesh them out and providing a context or a different interpretation to some of the more problematic elements has been the thing I've spent the most time on. And, you know, I worry the most about, am I getting that across? Am I making the same mistakes? Am I making similar mistakes? Am I eviscerating the work that came before? Am I a terrible person? Should I even be working in comics? I should just <laughs> and walk away from everything. You know, all the usual stuff. Uh, sounds, sounds like a Thursday in my house. Yeah, yeah, right? But it's like, that's uh, that's also what I'm really enjoying about the project. And I mean, like, these books were incredibly important to me growing up. And spending time in this world and, like, you know, putting my own spin on it while mm -hmm. staying true to it, it's, it's kind of what I always wanted to do. Like, I thought I would grow up and, you know, write and draw Superman, because that was the comic. That was my first comic. That was always my favorite superhero, and that's what I always thought I would do. And then I got mm. older, and it's like, but I don't really care about that character. Like this is, it's the, it's the same thing, but there's more, there's more leeway here, and I feel like there's more to be said here. So, and it just feels like you could sit for hours and hours and play in this world. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe playing in spend as much time. <laughs> So Lisa, he talked about the books meaning so much, and I want to bring it back to, to the book you told us about from what, 1904, you said? <laughs> 1910. 1910. <clears throat> yeah. How, 
how close do your plant creatures hue to that? Is it literally just a, wow, that was neat and I'm going to create something totally new or is it a, a through line from that? Yeah, basically the, the first one. I wanted to do something new, but I'll show you the one that always stuck with me when I was a kid. It was a water lily character. I had a bookmarker ready to go. <clears throat> I lost it. There it is. I'm not good at lining it up. I'll let him do it. Is it this one? <laughs> that one. <clears throat> Nope, oh. that's just me. Sorry, I tried to put you up close. <laughs> yeah, so that one. I just think they're really pretty classic illustration style. And it just, I don't know, I always poured over it as a kid. <clears throat> and so it just always stuck with me. And I, I was always a Poison Ivy fan. Mm. <laughs> and so that kind of went into the idea as well. And then Corolla really took it. And we discussed the plant element a lot while we were deciding on how she was going to approach it and you'll notice they're very human like in the preview and they're going to sort of change and shift with their emotions as the book goes goes along so uh, they all have that sort of shape-shifting ability that's going to present itself later on <clears throat> uh, the general world building with this one was sort of like plucking my favorite things from a different fantasy uh, series or worlds that I liked. I did uh, quite a bit of research into different types of magic and just decided <clears throat> um, which ones I felt fit. And then uh, not going, not just throwing everything in the pot, just <laughs> um, picking, picking and choosing. And then I did a lot of uh, general, like just typing out, uh, world building uh, background stuff. Uh, Nicole actually uh, recommended that I add some of that to the book and that we are doing that. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, that it was really actually um, something that Will told me in a mastermind that got me uh, writing the actual story. It was like, I did all the world building and then I was like, uh, I'm sure you remember when you talked about your uh, writing strategy strategy of four pages yeah. a, a week. Mm -hmm. And that's what made this book happen. <laughs> that's the only thing that made this book happen. Well, I just, I mean, without that advice, I w it wouldn't, it wouldn't be here yet. She, she was overwhelmed by the breadth of the story that she was, that she had in her head. And when she got that advice from you, it was just like, Oh, I can just do four pages a week and <laughs> knock this out. And exactly. That's what she did. So. Sadly, the last few months I have, completely <laughs> fallen off the <laughs> writing but i'm with the uh, success of this it's really mo motivating to get back there there <clears throat> there is now a readership that you owe uh <laughs> other volumes so now this this beast is not yours anymore now you just have to deliver it that is true <clears throat> i i heard um i think it was gene wolf uh wrote his first novel waking up and and wrote like 30 minutes in the morning and he just did like 50, 75 words a day, every day for a year. And he had a novel and, you know, like that little, just like slow and steady literally wins the race when it comes to creating it's I'm terrible at it. I'm a fits and start writer. Um, I'll sit down and, and, you know, like power through half an issue and then 
come back a week later when I have time and, and finish it. And then, you know, like, got to edit it and make it readable and, <laughs> and, and marginally okay. But it, I'm a fits and starts person. But man, if you can just a little bit at a time, it, it's the best advice for, for creating there is. Because unless you're on a deadline, just it doesn't have to be done now. It just needs to be done. And yeah. that's great. That's great that Will did it because we usually um, only talk about the explain yourself bump from the moment you're on the campaign. But now I'm taking credit for all 867 <laughs> because of uh, 868. It popped up right when I looked at it. So um, now I'm going to cheat a little bit, Phil. I, I heard you on Blake's Buzz podcast and you were talking a little bit about how some of your choices came from like, I need to, needing to light a page and I'm going to paraphrase and probably get it wrong. And like needing to light a page and realizing well then either rocket boots or a laser gun would light the page better. So now commander Rao has a rocket gun or rocket boots. Rocket boots yeah. So I was thinking that your, your writing might be a, a chaotic good uh, you know, like on the, the, the neutral and I, I, I consider it like a chaotic good from what I've heard from you before. How do you go about your world building? Uh, you're absolutely correct. Uh, I go about it very chaotically. <laughs> um, like with Commander Rao, I think with like, especially not even just saying we love you with Commander Rao itself. A lot of it was made up as I went along, to be honest. Um, well, they they all actually are. So there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. <laughs> but yeah, like you said, like the entire comic took place at nighttime. And I was like, like when I was coloring it, I was like, I couldn't see anything. I was like, how do I like this thing? Because it's literally in the middle of nowhere in the woods. So I'm like, okay, I guess she has rocket boots now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, other elements of the Commander Rao world, I guess, were inspired by uh, like facets of the French Revolution and World War II and Battletech. Um, I was like really into this manga called The Rose of Versailles, which was, um, uh, it's like a really old manga, but it's about the French Revolution and it's really good. It was really cool. So I was like, I want to make something that cool and have that kind of like a almost like 17th, 18th century design, but in like a sci-fi setting because I also like to draw big robots and right. you know, things that go kaboom. <laughs> so it was going to mix of that. And a mix of just things that I like to draw, and then I mash them together into a world that is kind of like this retro future, I guess, where you have all these cool technologies, but it's also very much, um, I, I don't know, like stuck in the past in a way, um, or even the present now that things are not going well in the world. <laughs> but, but yeah, it, um, like, I don't know, a lot of it was kind of just made out of functional need for things in not gonna lie, the, the world is still developing. Um, there was a page in And We Love You where I was like, okay, there's gonna be a car in it. But I didn't know what a car in this world looked like. And then I couldn't figure out what a car in this world looked like, so I just didn't draw the car. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. The, being the writer and the artist gives you a freedom there that is <laughs> is gorgeous. Now, every, every artist out there, if this happens to you, I think that you should just email or call your writer and tell them, I can't figure out what it looks like, so I'm not going to draw the car. <laughs> and guess what? If the writers like Will, myself, Lisa, if you can't draw the car, nobody can. So you own it. <laughs> but 
there could be cars in a future incarnation if you decide what the style would be. Yes, I, I, I feel like I'm still, it's probably somewhere between like a Cybertruck kind of deal or I don't know, something simple. I like the Cybertruck design because it's very easy to draw. Like it's only mm. polygons, looks like a PS1 model. So you know, <laughs> if all cars look like that, I would be happy to draw them. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't like to draw anything that's not people. Like, <laughs> like, I had to draw cars for Charlie in, a, in an anthology. And like, I found a picture of a car and it was like, I can draw the car from this angle. And like, that's it. That's all, that's all the car you get. <laughs> so, so you called up Charlie. He is not making any right turns. Yeah. He's all yeah, left no, turns. That's all he can do. <laughs> I, uh, I wrote the uh, first the plot of the first issue of Tart is all in a city. And I emailed Ludo and I said, it can be Paris. It can be England. It can be New York, wherever you want. And I figured he's going to, as a Frenchman, he's going to pick Paris. And he, he wrote me back. He said, we'll do Manhattan. I said, okay. <laughs> uh, and it was really interesting. Actually, he picked Manhattan because he has this mindset that these cities have a certain era. So for him, he doesn't want to draw London unless it's the sixties. He doesn't want to draw Manhattan unless it's the 50s, which is when that particular plot took place. And I can't remember what his Paris was when he mentioned it. I think it was like the 20s or the 30s. And I thought that was such an interesting like way that he chose the location. But he also said way after the fact, years later, I hate drawing cities. Buildings are the worst things to draw in the world. And I said it in... <laughs> It was going to be a huge city no matter where he chose. I was like, okay, all right, let's cut this story. Let's cut that story. Let's cut that story. Um, so writers, I guess, ask your artists what they want to draw first so that you don't do what Charlie did to poor Meg. <laughs> well, with, with he at Conquer, it was like two people in a valley, you know, and it's like I had to draw grass, such as squiggly lines around the ground. I had to draw some trees that's just squiggly lines in the air you know off in the distance is a cliff so it's just like a very faint squiggly line and it was very easy and i got the book done super fast and then this book like they're actually in the city it's like i don't know what this architecture looks like i don't know how they build rooms like now i gotta draw the room from another angle like it's taking forever and i hate it and everyone's going back to the valley next time, and they're just stuck there for the rest of the time. <laughs> is there anything in the books that even explains the architecture, or do you have to make it up? Uh, they don't have stairs on Barsoom. They use ramps. I think, uh, you know, there's minarets, there's spires. I'm assuming it looked like, you know, a 1920s white man's idea of Arabia, because uh, mm. it's far away and exotic, but... Mm -hmm. Just like throwing squiggly lines everywhere now, and I'm hoping, <laughs> hoping it makes sense. All right. Well, thank you guys very much for your diving into world building. I know that I sprung it on you, and I will next week. It's your job to spring uh, something on on our creators. I'll have to, I'll have to come up with something. So. Um, we appreciate all of you joining us. You guys can hang with us while Will and I talk about the campaigns that have come uh, past. Let's do real quickly, though, at least the we'll put up the um, campaigns on, on things so people can find them. We have um, 
a queen of mars one and two mcbyers um check it out uh edgar rice burroughs it's uh so you said four of the ten are in the public domain so if you finish the these three trilogies by the time you're done you should be getting into novel five and six right <laughs> i mean is there maybe. a countdown <laughs> <laughs> really all the good stuff like it's the same thing that happened with his Tarzan book, right? He wrote 24 Tarzan books. He wrote nine Tarzan books, one through nine. And then 10 through 24, it's just one of those one through nine again, but like he changes all the name. You oh. know, like like a Louis Lamour Western, or it's like it's the same book 17,000 times. So you really only need to read the first four, then you're fine. <laughs> Uh, my grandpa had the entire Louis L'Amour thing in Leatherbound, so I... Oh, those no, look really nice. I see them at flea markets all the time, and I just want to have them yeah. on the shelf. I'd never read them, but they look great <laughs> on the shelf. Like, if I, I like could, to collect stuff. I just like If I could pick stuff. up my computer, I could show it to you, because I got my grandpa's. <laughs> I can't afford them, but I can inherit them. So. <laughs> and I haven't read one, but now I know I just have to read one. That's all so. you need. All you need is one of them. Yeah. All right. And and we love you. Um, can they get any uh, Commander Rao in this as well? Is there a catch-up tier where you can get both books, Val? Uh, yes. Uh, so Commander Rao, uh, Commander Rao <laughs> my Kickstarter editions that I have left over, they are available as add-ons. Um, it is limited, though. I believe there's about 40 left which I hope will be enough, but if not, um, digital versions are available in every uh, physical pledge. So uh, those are the two options if you want to catch up. Or yeah. if you want, you can always head to the Scout web store and they will have copies. <laughs> or you can go to Take Comics in Fort Lauderdale because I was there two days ago and I saw five issues on the rack. So you can get them at Tate's. Um, <laughs> So I, I was so excited. I was like, yes, they, they had a pretty good scout selection. So I was I was excited about that. All right. And Bloom Pretty, Lisa, congratulations. It's so exciting that you had this kind of passion project that has done so well. It's I it's nice to see that because obviously you have thought about this forever and you put together a great team and you Put a great book out and people are gravitating to it which is actually something i could say about all three projects um but uh congratulations so bloom pretty um i would check out all three of these campaigns if you're watching and uh bring them home we joke about them doing well enough but you know there's there's nothing wrong with getting 10 more readers and then 10 more readers and then 10 more readers um so check these out and give them a read there's there's there can never be enough readers to any of these books Absolutely. all right will now we stumble on each other you got it man <laughs> oh we should give a shout out prison which pat chan's uh yep. funded uh mm -hmm. today so we're we're not going to tell you to go back that because it, it is very difficult <laughs> when it's already closed but congratulations <laughs> to pat chan and his team and uh I don't know why that went to that, but we have the House of the Queer Bodies, which is another public domain work. And uh, Tiller was talking about this as uh, I'm going to pull it up. It's a 
not not Mother Goose and the Gander, who the the character falls into a fairy tale, and she mm-hmm. finds out there's a fairy tale that her grandmother used to tell that is missing, and Mother Goose gives the lead ca- character a gander that takes her through a bunch of different uh, fairy tales to find her miss her missing story. So. House of the Queer Bodies, uh, very unique, amazing artwork. Cthulhu is hard to spell. Uh, another public, do- so this is a lot of public domain going on, and that's okay, you know. <laughs> um, this is edited by Russell Nolte, and just a, the third volume of an anthology. Cthulhu invades. Cthulhu takes over, and the mythological beings in this last volume fight back for the fate of the earth so we're not sure who wins yet it's either uh the the old gods or the new gods so i i think we're praying for zeus and the new gods i don't know you want to take drumsticks of doom will drumsticks of doom uh yes that one's got until um, march 12th so we're about a week yeah uh, yeah, so, next. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, with Go the uh, Drumsticks of Doom is when, what if uh, the uh, dominant music uh, was not the Beatles, it was instead uh, Black Sabbath. It's a heavy metal world with all the things that they said were associated with, you know, m- you know metal music, right? Uh, werewolves and magic. <laughs> and there's other stuff going on here that we don't know about, but... Uh, Yep, Drumsticks of Doom has about another week left. And I think that's it, isn't it? I think that is it. Yeah, because we can, we can, I'll just erase this much. All right. Thank you guys, everyone who tuned in. Thank you to our projects. Oh, don't forget the werewolves. Yes, Ignatius. Yeah, the werewolves are <laughs> badass. <laughs> so Ignatia was here. We we're, we don't have to talk about the Breakneck Fantasy Project because you guys um, funded this week. Uh, fabulous campaign. Congratulations. And I hope you had a well-deserved uh, drink or meal of your choice to celebrate. And when the three projects here fund, I hope you all do as well. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll see you yep. next week. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.